0: Thank you, everybody on the platform. If you have your Bibles, First Chronicles 16, a little bit of a different thought this morning, uh, but you'll have to hang with me and really engage uh, yourself, or you will get lost really quick this morning. Just telling you. So put all distractions aside, put down the devices, and let's be here to hear from God. First Chronicles 16. <clears throat> voice is a little raspy. It wasn't because of a rock concert I didn't play last night. <clears throat> um, we live in a very religious generation uh, where things have quickly turned upside down compared to God's original intention. We just had our president appoint a transgender to the faith advisory council concerning faith-based issues so somehow this man woman is going to represent god on the topic of gay lesbian and transgender issues now this is one of the many indications of how far we have fallen in our generation when it comes to a representation of god on earth and something is uh, is clearly wrong and misaligned. Now, I want to give you a structure this morning, of something that is rooted in eternity and will be the main feature of heaven. So you got to perk up if you want to go to heaven. Because it's going to be a main feature, and a person will not get to heaven without this being the main feature of their lives. I'm going to go a long way around end up on the topic of worship this morning, but not worship as you and I often perceive it. And what really struck me and got me going was just this title, which I mistyped in our bulletin. That is that worship is the language of heaven. Worship is the language of heaven. You'll understand that by the time I'm finished this morning. You know, what comes out of our mouths, how we live... What we stand for, the priority of our lives, all bear eternal weight. See, and too often we're living too much for uh, the here and now. We're not weighing in on eternity like we should be. So the question is, is how you are currently living lining up with the language of heaven? Now, I'm going to take you to an Old Testament story to bring an eternal truth that has an eternal realm this morning. And I want to read, I'm just going to read a couple of segments and then I'll fill in the blanks as we go along. First Chronicles 16, beginning in verse 1. So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. and They offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. And then David had finished offering the burnt offerings and peace offerings, and he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he distributed to everyone of Israel, both man and woman, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, a cake of raisins. And he appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord, to commemorate, to thank, and to praise the Lord God of heaven. Now jump to verse 37. So he left Asaph and his brothers before the ark of the covenant of the Lord to minister before the ark regularly as every day's work required. And Obedidim with his 68 brethren, including Obedidim, the son of Jehuthun and Hosea, or Hosea to be gatekeepers and Zadok, the priest and his brethren. The priest before the tabernacle of the Lord at the high place was at Gibeon to offer burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar of burnt offering regularly, morning and evening, to do according to all that is written in the law of the Lord, which he commanded Israel. I want to preach a sermon called Worship the Language of Heaven. And I want to first consider that thought. And I want to take you to something that Jesus said that we need to revisit for a moment. It is found in John chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. He's speaking to a woman that he has run into. She's bringing a a religious flow to the conversation. And Jesus said, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews. She was a Samaritan. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. Now, this statement and interaction with this woman carries eternal significance. Now, worship has been made something that we do Strictly in the confines of a religious building, with religious entrapments, and in today's culture, they have a word. It's called worshipology. And in many Christian circles, what has happened is they are beginning to worship worship. And what I'm saying is that this is somehow the ultimate experience. You know, the emotion that's accumulated in in this this whole thing of worship and. And many churches today feature this as the main thing and not preaching. And so something has been altered. Never mind that people can be fornicating, committing adultery, smoking, drinking, cussing, abusing their spouses, bar hoppers, strip club hoppers, rebellious and perverted. But they go to one of these worship meetings and they just feel so right. It just feels so good. And what has happened is the religious nature of men has been misappropriated. So here Jesus comes upon this woman. She's doing the very thing. She's making religious references. But Jesus begins to tap something that aligns and actually derives from the text I just read, but is rooted in eternity. Now, I'm going to make that connection for you if you'll stay with me here this morning. See, true worship involves a couple of important things. In this text, in 1 Chronicles 16, there's a very important lesson of biblical history to remember. And we're going to get to the fullness of that in a moment. But let's look at 1 Chronicles 15, 12, and 13. So David is speaking. He said to them, You are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves you and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord of Israel to the place I've prepared for it, because you did not do it the first time the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper order. There's a term used here that you need to get a hold of and understand because that every, has everything to do with true worship and getting to heaven. And it is this word sanctify sanctify yourselves. Now, I'm going to go through the history of this in a moment, but they didn't do things right before God. And because of that, somebody died. Okay, and so this was a sobering thing. So this time around, David sets things in order. And the first call is this call to sanctify. Now, you cannot be a worshiper in spirit and truth without this, and you cannot get to heaven without this. This word in its simplest form simply is a form of dedicating yourself to God. It is a state of spiritual preparedness versus just living in the old way and attending some religious services. And it is being different from the world. Okay? So this is an important Bible word. Now, I want you to think about heaven's language for a moment. So let's go to Isaiah because there were a couple of prophets that had heavenly experiences. They were taken up into the heavenly realm. And I want you to see something here in Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 3. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim. This was an angelic creature. Each one had six wings with Two they covered his face with two his feet, and with two he flew, and one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the earth is full of his glory so then further in isaiah fifty seven fifteen for thus says the Lord, the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high And holy place. And then in Revelations 4 8, the four living creatures, each having six wings, full of eyes around and within, they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, holy, Lord God Almighty, who was, and who is, and who is to come. So here are these created creatures that inhabit eternity. And here this prophet is taken up, and here is John also into the eternal realm. And what do we discover? But the eternal realm is filled with these praises. It is filled with this magnificent uh, phrases of God's holiness. And this is the language of heaven. And every time you go into the Bible and, and you begin to search the heavenly realm, you begin to find and tap this reality, yeah? that heaven's language is a language of worship, uh, so worship is the language of heaven and worship is all about who God is. Worship is all about his holiness. Worship involves sanctification and holiness among the people of God. So so I'm going... Carefully to describe this to you because everything has been misconstrued today in our religious culture today. And, and people can come in as, as unclean as the next, uh, go into what they call a worship service or some religious meeting, uh, uh, felt good about themselves and walk out the same and somehow it's OK. So the New Testament weighs in on this in First Thessalonians four, three through eight. for this is the will of God. And your sanctification. There's that important word again. That you should abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you should... You know, sexual immorality is the, is the golden calf of our generation. It's the, it's the don't touch. It's the, it's the leave it to the Holy Ghost. But that's not what the Bible tells us to do with sexual immorality. Just to let you know. And so, that each of you should know how to possess your own vessel... And here it is again in sanctification that your vessel, meaning your body and in honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this manner, because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarned you and testified for God did not call us to uncleanness, but holiness. So here's this description of something That is heaven's language. This is the language you find in heaven, in eternity. You cannot be a true worshiper of God without this. This was what Jesus' confrontation with this woman at the well was all about. Because she's speaking religious terminology. She spoke of her forefathers that had a religious history with God. But her heart was not aligned with the holy God. And so Jesus begins to go after it. He says, this is not acceptable. He says, you, you may have an assemblance of understanding of worship, but you're missing it. He goes, I know who and what I worship. And he begins to go after her and he begins to go after the issues of her life uh, to get her right with God. She's sanctification and holiness are all about how we live. It's about what we live for. It's our response to God's holiness and to his holy presence. Much of what I'm speaking of right now has been lost in this generation of Christianity. Absolutely lost. There's no sense of this anymore. It's just anything goes, however you come as you please, go as you please. Uh, and, and there's no, no sense of God's holiness. No sense of, of this, this awe of God. You know, people can be sitting... In in services like we just had, where every night uh, uh, God's visiting, there's a sobering sense of God's presence, and they can just be totally disconnected, uninterested. Well, you don't want to go to heaven then. Listen, (laughs) you don't want to go to heaven. If what we're doing here is disinteresting to you, you do not want to go to heaven, because it's way more than this. So just go ahead and, and save yourself. Because if we're not comfortable with holiness and purity, if we get rubbed wrong by that, if, if we're not comfortable with this challenge and thought that Jesus should be the center of all of life, everything we live for, then you will not be comfortable in heaven. And I'm going to draw this picture out for you better in a minute. Because this is the language that defines heaven. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the presence of God for a moment. And let's go to this important place in the history of God's word. So let's start in our text, First Chronicles 16, verses 1 and 2. So they brought the ark of God. They set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. They offered burnt offerings, peace offerings before God. So here's the important ark of God. This is where the presence of God dwelt. So in the Old Testament, the way that God dwelt among his people is this ark. It had the wings of cherubims, it's set in the Holy of Holies. God's presence dwelt among it. Literally, his physical presence uh, dwelt among it. Uh, And so here's this ark. This was a main feature of everything they were called to be as the people of God. So so here's the presence of God dwelling above that mercy seat. And and so I I think this contention has been lost in many churches that have become so secularized and many individual believers that have become so secularized in this 21st century of ours that that, that that's just kind of it's kind of like what we're talking about in Sunday school. They don't get it because for you to get this truth, you, your heart has to be aligned with it. You can't live this kind of any old way type of life and 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 understand what I'm talking about. But let me go back to bring you forward. So I just read where they are in our text, so let me go back to see what took place to get to where we're at what I just read. So here's Israel. God's people. And they had been functioning without this sacred ark for many years. What had happened is um, they had lost it first to the Philistines. It had been stolen. And then it settled in Kirjath-Jerim for many years. So David is now being crowned as king. And he appeals to the leaders We must bring back the ark. We cannot effectively worship God without his presence in the midst of us. So they had become estranged from the ark. And this is true of some sitting here this morning have been functioning for long periods of time without the presence of God. And how many know we can go through all the religious formalities and and do all the right things and say all the right things and not be experiencing the presence of God personally? this is what happened to them. They'd become estranged from it and they'd learn how to function that way. It was never God's intention. That ark was supposed to be in the middle of them in all that they did. All their life was supposed to surround around that. But they'd learn how to function outside of that. There was no sense of the reality of God. And in, in many places, if we're not careful, we come to this place. No recent promptings of the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, sermons like this, all they do is agitate you. Because because they, they push you where you really don't want to go. But yet, this is the essence of heaven's language that we're going to this morning. So they begin to bring the ark back. They put it on this cart that was being pulled by oxen. Well, the ark begins to tilt and fall because the oxen tripped. So a man named Uzzah, he's just there, puts his hands on it to hold it up, and he's struck dead by God. Whoa. So this sobers everything up. And the reason is, this was not how the ark was supposed to be handled. They knew this, but they had become so uh, dislodged for so long from how they're supposed to conduct themselves in the presence of God, they became totally careless. It's not supposed to be on a cart pulled by oxen. It's supposed to be on the shoulders of Levites, the priests. So God makes his statement that they had functioned so long without the presence of God, they became careless. And so, so let's look at what what's happening. So here they are bringing this ark up. Here's the presence of God, right? And let's look at what's happening along this little journey. The Bible says in 1 Chronicles 13, 7 and 8, So they carried the ark of God in a new cart from the house of Abinadab. And Uzzah and Eli drove the cart. And then David and all Israel played music before God with all their might, singing on harps, string instruments, tambourines, cymbals, trumpets. They are having one whale of a worship service. I am in mean, there rejoicing. They're excited. We got the presence of God, right? So they're doing all the right things. All the religious structure is there. Everything's in place. It looks good. They're saying all the right words. They're showing excitement. But they're mishandling the presence of God. This has to be rectified. Are you listening to me? Because if we're not careful, we'll run into this place in our lives, in our own secular generation that we live in, in our own carnal ways of dealing with things that, that we can end up right here where we're mishandling the presence of God. So after this, David then reestablishes the order of conduct and worship. Now, I said in the beginning of the sermon, and I'm going to make this connection before we're done. Everything I'm reading right now is rooted in eternity. So, so bypass where we're at. It means something for us here, and we'll get to that in a minute. But Everything I'm reading about is a picture of, of something in eternity. So keep that in mind for a moment. So in First Chronicles 15, so David is establishing the order of conduct and worship. 15, verse 1 through 3. David built houses for himself in the city of David and prepared a place for the ark of God, pitched a tent for it, and said no one may carry the ark but the Levites. Very good, because that's the way God said it. For the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark and minister to before that, so he got that one right now. He's readjusted. Okay, I've been way offline here. I should have known better, but we're going to establish that now. And then in verses 12 through 13, he said, you are the heads of the fathers, houses of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves. You're not doing this until you come under sanctification. Okay. You and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel to the place I have prepared for it. Because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper order. So the ark of God, God's presence, was brought among the people. They once again would learn how to conduct themselves daily as their lives centered around the presence of God. Now everything I'm saying I don't even have to speak it to you, but I'm going to for the sake of those whose hearts are not right. Because you won't get what I'm saying. But this is a perfect picture of heaven. I mean, this is the template of heaven. The presence of God is the center of all attention. We we don't just go in any old way. There's a process of how we live here to get there. There's a sanctifying that's associated with this. So this brings us then back to the text that I read to you a moment ago, First Chronicles 16. I want to make this point and start tying it together, because everything that God was teaching them in the Old Testament concerning how to conduct themselves with God's presence as a centerpiece, ultimately was all about eternity. It's all about eternity. In heaven, God Himself is the very centerpiece. All of heaven's inhabitants. Respond with worship to His holiness. That's the language you hear in heaven. I don't hear any other language. I, I'm not saying there's going to be no conversation in heaven, but but the main feature of heaven. Okay, you got to get this because if, if if you're not into it here, why would you be into it there? Right. So listen to what the New Testament says, and the reason I'm going through this: a lot of people don't understand. They they just think the Old Testament is just obsolete. It's outdated. It, means nothing. It was just a mean, bad God that killed everybody all the time. Uh, You're missing the the picture. so, So let's put this together. Hebrews 8, 3 through 6. Okay, so he's tying together this Old Testament that I'm reading. He's merging it into eternal, and he's bringing it to where we live right now. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. This is a picture of the Old Testament. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. Now he's going to talk about Jesus. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the tabernacle. For he said, see that you make all things, listen, according to the pattern shown on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, Jesus, inasmuch as he is also a mediator of a better covenant, which is established on a better promise, and I, and I missed the part, I oversaw my notes, who served the copy and the shadow of heavenly things. So everything that was represented in this tent that David brings his ark into was a copy or a shadow of heavenly things. What, what, what's going to be the features and how is heaven going to function? Well, you can tell a lot by reading your Old Testament, seeing how they had to function, in in the tabernacle days, because there's an eternal realm that God is requiring. But there's an in-between. So here we are sandwiched in between the Old Testament and eternity. Right? So this is where we begin to tie together our thoughts to make the point of worship, the language of heaven, and discover God's expectations. All that heaven is going to be will center around God himself this will solicit unending worship from his people. The Bible says that God himself will be the light in that city. There will be no sun. There will be no moon. There will be no night. There will be no day that God in his presence and all of his light for God is light will illuminate in that city in that day. And all of the inhabitants will come and bring their glory and honor unto it. So all of heaven surrounds the glory of God immersed in the glory of God. So take me, uh, go with me here, because here Ezekiel, he was a prophet that was taken up into the heavenly realm. There he saw God's angelic creatures. There he experiences the holiness of God and grandeur and awe of God on a level that was off the charts. Anything you've ever experienced in God here is just that much compared to what heaven's going to be. The reason God did this, he takes him up into this eternal realm. He shows them the purest of pure that it could ever be. And then he says, no, you're going to go back down. You're going to go to my rebellious people who have lost sense of my holiness. And you read the ministry of Ezekiel and all that he had to do to try to get these people's attention because they had totally lost reverence for the presence of God. They had lost the life that is surrounded around God and his purposes. It no longer existed. Well, they had a religious pretense, because people will always keep their religion. They'll always keep their religion. But they don't always keep their lives centered around God. So he tells Ezekiel, you're going to go back down there, and you're going to deal with them after you know what this is. And he's compelled, and I believe that is what compelled them to do all the nonsense God asked this prophet to do. Because God asked him things, oh my Lord, just take me off this earth, God. Why would you want me to do that? Read it for yourself. Because it's so easy to lose the sense of God's holiness. And we become careless in how we live for God. So careless. We go about life as if we're in control. No real sense of lives that are to be governed by a relationship with a holy God. We've just dumbed it down to a level that fits self-will. And then we go about our business putting the religious stamp upon it, a couple of religious services a week, and on we go, living for self. It doesn't surround around God, it doesn't surround around His purposes. It certainly isn't what heaven's going to be all about. It's just church, you know. It's just ministry. no real sense of awe, no real carefulness in conduct, no real commitment beyond what we feel like. Altar calls become a religious ritual. No more coming early to pray. No sense of obligation. Live loosely. Accommodate carnality. Why? Because we're not living eternally. is the problem. Because we've forgotten heaven's language. See, because heaven is in our heart when we get saved. That's what compels us. And I realize we, we won't get it on that level until we're there. But God gives us enough. He gives us enough in his word and, and by his Holy Spirit that we can live this way. People try to make you think you preach this stuff. And they try to make you think you're being ridiculous. You, don't, don't you, 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 you expect everybody? Yeah, everybody. Absolutely. Because it's heaven's language, man. So let's talk then about, in closing, an eternal alignment. Because we are currently sandwiched between God's copy of the Old Testament and the eternal setting. We're sandwiched between right now. So in 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, do you not know that you are the temple of God? So in the Old Testament, it was a tabernacle that held the presence of God. In eternity, it's God himself. Here and now us. Do you not know that you are the temple of where is God going to dwell among the cherubim? Is he going to in the mercy seat in the holy of holies? No, right here inside of the human heart. The spirit of God dwells. If anyone defiles the temple of God, this temple of God, God will destroy him for the temple of God is holy which temple you are. So you have to ask the question. Am I a vessel that God can inhabit? Didn't say perfect. Didn't say never make a mistake. But contending to be different from this world. Contending to be closer to God. Lives that are aligned around the presence of God. So if God's expectation in the Old Testament with the presence of God that could only be accessed by the high priest. The average person couldn't access it. So if if God's presence in the Old Testament required consecration, holiness, carefulness, and a life centered around God's purpose, how much more being that now we are the temple in which God has chosen to dwell in until eternity? Are you getting the picture? This is, I don't know about you, this is convicting stuff. Everything we do in this life, everything, mark it down, everything we do in this life has eternal impact. Everything. Jesus said, even down to the idle words we speak, that would be the careless, nonchalant words and conversation that we just throw around. God says, everything about us is eternally scrutinized. It's bearing weight in eternity. you got to let that sink in. Worship. Will be the main feature of heaven. Not just the fact that they're saying holy and expressing themselves. But heaven will be this place of. Perfection. Utter consecration. There's no more flesh there. Everything has been perfected in that moment. But this must mean something to you. Not only will it be the main feature, but it will be an intense feature of heaven. And it all will surrender, s- s- circle around God himself. You know, people will think, well, yeah, I wonder what we're going to be doing in heaven. You Because know, we think so so worldly. And I'm not condemning it all. I realize we're, we're, we only see in part here. We only see him part. I, I know. We don't get it all. But we try to secularize heaven. I wonder, you know, is going to be have any fun stuff to do there? You mean know, all we're going to be doing is worshiping all the time? Think about it. Because we need to check our hearts. But This is the main feature. And the main drive that will solicit worship is the reality of the living God in the midst of us. And the pure notion of God's holiness. Think about this. I'm going to take you here through a couple of prophets. Because each time we see a human that was taken up in the spirit into this heavenly realm, it solicited a sobering confession. Isaiah 6, 5. I said, woe is me. He's in the very, very throne room of God. Woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Lord, I am not worthy of this. I mean, he was shaken in his boots. Lord, I'm, make me right. Make sure I'm right. Because when you get in the presence of God, there's something sobering about God's holiness. Here's Ezekiel 128. So when I saw it, so here he is in that heavenly realm. I fell on my face. Prostrate, prostrate. He became prostrate on his face uh, before God. Peter, when he realized who Jesus really was and saw His power uh, standing before the very Son of God, in Luke five eight, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and said, "Depart from me, I am a sinful man, O Lord." Daniel, in chapter 10, verse 7 through 9, has this encounter with God. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. Uh, For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them. And they fled and hid themselves. Therefore, I was left alone. I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me. For my vigor was turned to frailty in me. And I uh, retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words. And while I heard the sound of his words... I was in a deep sleep on my face with a face to the ground. See, this should be the result of being in God's presence. And I realize again, it's not the pure in heaven, third heaven type experience. But it is amazing to me. Utterly amazing. How many people can sit in a service that is obviously drenched in the presence of God, totally uninterested, totally disconnected, just waiting to go and eat. I'm serious. So David realized, wait, something got off here. Something got off. We're not handling this correctly like we used to, like we've been taught. So he sets everything in order. He establishes the burnt offering. He points the Levites to minister before the ark. And then look what he does next. This is significant. And I'm coming to a conclusion. First Chronicles 16, 37 through 41. So he left Asaph and his brothers there before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to minister before the Ark regularly, as every day's work required. And Obadidim, this was the man whose house the Ark had dwelt in and was blessed, and his 68 brethren, including Obadidim, they were the gatekeepers. And Zadok the priest and his brethren the priests before the tabernacle of the Lord at the high place that was at Gibeah to offer burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar of burnt offering regularly morning and evening to do according to all that was written in the law of the Lord, which he commanded Israel. So David does what everyone here is going to need to do and what this altar call is going to be about. He establishes the daily element of maintaining the altar and the offerings in order to cater to the presence of God that was in the midst of the people. This is where we fail, folks. This is where we start falling short. Anytime people start getting carnal, disconnected, fall to sin, it doesn't take much digging to realize. They haven't been praying right. They've been hit and miss church. They have very little interaction with the word of God. They don't. Wait. All the basics of Christianity begin to fail in. David said, not only are we going to reestablish this, but we're going to establish it the way God wanted it, morning and evening. In other words, uh, our entire lives, uh, starting with a day and ending with a day, are going to surround around Jesus Christ. And the purposes of God. If that's not what you're looking for, I don't think you're going to like heaven very much. I don't think you're, you're cut out for heaven. The only problem is that you don't get to go to heaven. There's only one other place. And I definitely know you don't want to go there. So the Old Testament, we see this all-out commitment to radical daily life that functions around God's presence and tabernacle. In heaven, we see all of this perfected and worship and reverence is the constant response as God's centerpiece and it should be that all that we do is with the pattern and eternity in mind so that we can fulfill this as the temple of god we now the temple of god think about that we are the temple of god lord did you really know what you were doing making us the temple of god so jesus tells a parable matthew 22 he spoke this parable The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king that arranged a marriage for his son he sent out the servants to call those who were invited to the wedding and they were not willing to come again he sent out another servant now he's inviting this is ultimately listen we're in the parables in sunday school getting the revelation this isn't a literal marriage on earth this is he's talking eternally okay Send out other servants, tell those who are invited, I've prepared my dinner. Oxen, fatted calf are killed, all things are ready, come to the wedding. But they made light of it. We don't do that, do we? Make light of that. They went their way to one his own farm, others' business and all the interests of life that keep us too busy. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious. So he sent out armies, destroyed the murders and burned the cities. And he said to his servant, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited are not worthy. Therefore, go to the highways and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all that they found, both bad and good. That gives us all hope. <laughs> both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests, but then the king came To see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have a wedding garment. And he said, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And the man was speechless. The king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him to outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called. That means everybody's called. Everybody has the opportunity of salvation. But few are chosen. That is based upon response. That's what that word's based upon. No one will be in heaven that did not put God first in this life. Now I'm not going to elaborate on that. You have to work that out in your salvation. But nobody will be in heaven that did not put God first. And that this this is a, a powerful parable. We're going to look at this in our Sunday school in the weeks to come. But he says that the the imitation went out. Now all that it represented was you're going to have to put some things aside. You're going to make some hard decisions because your life has to align around Jesus Christ. But they weren't willing. They had too many things. They're too busy. Too much stuff going on. No one will be in heaven that did not put God first in this life. If he's running second or third or fourth in your life, then you're going to need to make an adjustment this morning as the manner that David did. When they became estranged from the presence of God, they mishandled it. They were careless. It cost them dearly, but he sobered up. And that's the good news this morning. That's what we're getting at. Preach a sermon like this so that we can sober up. Realize, wait a second, I've become too careless here. So David reinstates the priority of the tabernacle. Attendance with reverence to the presence of God. Carefulness in their approach to the holy things of God. And then he set a daily watch over them. I'm not going to allow my life to get there again. I'm going to put it together this morning. I'm going to make a decision. And I'm not going to go there again. In other words, every day I'm going to tend to this in my life. And if I see myself starting to drift uh, And things getting away from me, I'm not going to let it happen. I'm going to keep it. That's the understanding. That's the challenge this morning. It's the adjustment that we all need to make, each one of us, at the altar today. Because worship is the language of heaven. And worship is a lifestyle that is in love with Jesus more than anything else. It keeps us wanting to be where His presence is dwelling, wanting to live a life surrendered to Him as the priority. It involves a carefulness in how we conduct our lives, the conversations we have, where and how much we attach our affections, because worship's the language of heaven. And if that doesn't appeal to you here and now, you're not going to like heaven very much. God is not the big sugar daddy in the sky. We just go to him when we want some good things and ask him and rub the genie bottle. and all. No, 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 no. This is where we're going to spend all of eternity. And what each of us needs this morning is a fresh Isaiah the prophet moment where we realize how very unclean that we can be before a holy God and realign. That's what Christianity is all about. That's how we're going to make it through this life into heaven. We're not going to be perfect. If if perfection is your idea, you're going to miss it because there's no way you're going to do it. But constantly realigning our lives, constantly keeping an alignment of fresh repentance and renewal and places that we've uh, allowed as Jesus dealt with the churches of Revelation. They've lost their first love. They've become lukewarm, uh, recognizing that. And God in his love comes to them and gives them an opportunity. Even in Thyatira, where he was going to judge them for the fornication, he says, look, I gave you plenty of time to repent. God gives us time. He's merciful. He's gracious. But what are you going to do? Just ride that grace until it rides no more? Or are you going to make a decision at this altar to realign the way David did and prepare ourselves for an eternity in heaven? If we'll do that, we'll make it, man. We're going to be okay. Okay? You, you may be here this morning and you may be all messed up. You may have made a lot of mistakes. Maybe you're at a downtime in your life. Maybe you've been sinning. But you can align yourself this morning and God will meet with you. And we can get back on that road and then daily you're going to begin to put this together. And God is going to help you. Amen. Let's bow our heads together. I realize a bit of a, a sobering tone this morning, but I really, really, it was one of those sermons that, I mean, God just dropped in my spirit. I, I didn't even know, honestly, how to go about putting this together. I didn't even know where to start. Um, but I really feel a, a confirmation of the Holy Spirit that, that God's going to help us this morning. And you're here and, and you're not right with God. You know, everything in God wants to be real in your life. I mean, everything he did, he he surrendered his entire life for us. The Bible says God so loved the world he gave his son. So this is all about us. It's all about how much God loves people, loves humanity, desperately wants to make himself real in you. And, And here's the thing. He says that you become that temple. So if you'll accept Jesus Christ in your life today, you're literally... Accepting Jesus Christ, I mean the very spirit and essence of God, will become so evident inside of your life. I heard these powerful testimonies last night at our Edge concert. Just just supernatural. That what conversion does when you let Jesus Christ inside, you just put aside all of the nonsense and all the religious pretense. And, and say, you know what God, I'm coming on your terms. I'm gonna make. I'm gonna allow you to be Lord of my life, and I'm gonna let my life center around you. It's been too much about me and what I want, and, and that's gonna to end today. And I'm telling you, a miracle will happen for you today. You know, you're you're killing yourself trying to find change and get rid of these habits and and make things work, and, and it's like you're just bumbling along, and you because you're doing it the wrong way. You want. To live life the way it was meant to be. Then you have to surrender to Jesus Christ. Because he's the one that created it. And You're here and you're not right with God. This is the best day of your life. You're the luckiest person here. Because God is here to change you. Save you. Become your Lord and Savior. Forgive you. The question is, is that what you want? A lot of people want to keep an arm's length of. Yeah, Enough religion to feel good about themselves, but well, this is a little too well, you know. This is the language of heaven. God is appealing to you, though. You really do want to get right. You want God to help you. He's, he's here to help you. I want you to do something for me. If you would let us pray with you, we can lead you into this life this morning. I want you to lift your hand up. You know what? I'm not right, but I'm going to get right today. I'm going to get right today. I'm going to surrender my life to Christ. Thank you. Right here. Thank you. God's going to help you. Who else? I'm ready today. I'm going to give my life to Jesus. I'm going to really do this. God's going to help you. Look, don't let the devil lie to you. No, I've tried it before and I just keep falling and failing. No, 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 no. You can do this. You make a real commitment today. God's going to help you. You're ready to pray. I want you to lift your hand up. We're going to pray with you. Who else? With his honest heart. I'm ready to pray. Thank you so much. Thank you. Who else? God's going to help you. You can't do it your way. It doesn't work. Because one day you're going to be very, very, very tormented when when you stand before God and He doesn't let you in. Everything in God is doing everything He can to keep you from that. You're ready today. Align your life with Jesus Christ through repentance. I want you to lift your hand up. Who else? Two honest hearts. Who else? God's dealing with you. You're back slidden. It's time to come back. No more playing, messing around. It's time to come back. Sober up. Realign your life. God will help you. You would lift your hand up. Let us pray with you this morning. God will help you. Who's God dealing with? Put it, put it up so I can see it. Keep it until I see it. Thank you so much. Who else? Who else? God's dealing with you right now. He's here to help you. He's here to meet with you. There's nothing to be afraid about. Just surrender to Jesus Christ. The best thing you could do with your life, as long as you're in control, it's going to keep hitting dead ends. Who else? God's dealing with you. Lift your hand up. We're going to pray with you right now. Okay, these honest arts, I want you to do something. I want you to look at me. Did you mean that? I believe you did. Did you mean that? Yes? Right over here, you meant that. Yeah, God's helping you. Why don't you come meet us at this altar? Come. one of the sisters to pray with her. God bless you. God is going to help you. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. There's a realignment that needs to take place this morning. And if you'll do it, I'm telling you, God's going to help you. And then you maintain it every day. That is the key. That's where we get off. That's where we get all messed up. So We start letting... Things get infringed on us, our priorities get out of whack, then our carnality, and then idolatry in the heart, and, and, and we're all messed up. And we don't, We're like, oh, how do I get back on? Just realign today. Just make a decision. See, see the problem for some of you, and, and, and this, is, this is your issue, you've got to deal with it. You, you don't want to have to live a life surrendered around Jesus Christ, but yet you want to go to heaven. You can't have both. You cannot have both. Besides, you're not going to want to be there. Because that's all heaven's going to be. And this morning, we need to realign our lives. You need to make the decision. Whatever that requires, whatever that entails, whatever that means, decisions you've got to make. We're talking about eternity here. There's no light thing. Everything God did from the day that Adam and Eve felt was pointing us back to eternity. And so here we are along the way, and and God has given us the structure. He's given us the pattern. He's given us the copy. He's given us the eternal understanding. So what are you going to do now? And that's what this altar is about. We're going to come. Let's stand to our feet. And let's respond to God. It is your salvation. And the Bible does say you have to work it out in fear and trembling. It's, It's you that has to do this. We live in a religious generation where everything is upside down compared to God's original intention. And there's no stretch in the revelation I brought you today. This is just a pure biblical revelation. This is how the word of God works together in unison. And God will help you today. I'm telling you to revolutionize things in your life will begin to Change. You know, because what we do when we begin to get carnal and lukewarm is we overcompensate sometimes with how to get back on. Well, I've got to do more of this or that. I just, you know, just just come to the altar. Get it right. Make a commitment to realign yourself. Just like David. Do the obvious things that you let go. Just do the obvious things. You already know what they are. God's already shown us. We already know what to do. Just start doing it. And God will help you. He'll move on your behalf. You don't have to jump through hoops and do all these religious calisthenics. No, that's not the grace of God. The grace of God will carry you and help you if you'll just make the decision today. Oh God, we thank you. We thank you, God, for this heavenly revelation that you've put eternity in our hearts. Oh, let the blessing of God flow at this altar right now, Lord. Let there be an alignment of every heart, every life, oh God, help us. That we would no longer live our days after the lust of men in the flesh. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, God, we thank you so much. Abundant mercy for your abundant grace. God, your long-suffering towards us. I thank you. Oh, my Lord, my Savior. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, just let God settle in in your life helping you this morning. I can feel it. And we can get so far off. And yeah, for some, you're going to have to make some real altering decisions, and that's what's scaring you about it because you've you've gotten to this little realm of life that's where you know God's not first. You're trying to convince yourself with all sorts of philosophies you're creating in your mind. Just accept it today. Just accept the dealing of God and do what you have to do and God will help you. God will help you. Why don't you stand right where you're at. Lift your hands. We're going to sing this song before we dismiss. Right where you're at. Don't go to your seats. Just lift your hands. Let's touch heaven. Let's, let's enter into the language of heaven this morning and glorify God. Sing it. With rabab rabab and the ribiki robo borushay. Bowing down, oh my Lord, movies, Lord. thank you, Lord. Hiyar masay. to be our prayer. God, make our life a holy praise to you. Amen. And it all begins by coming back tonight. You know, when your life is surrendered around Jesus first, then what he's involved in is the priority. And that's where it all begins, making those types of decisions to realign yourself. And I'm not saying at what point you become altered to the point that you're not heaven bound anymore. You have to work that out. There's some things that are obvious. I'm not going there this morning. But there's something we have to concern ourselves with. Amen. So let's dismiss. Come tonight. Let's be in prayer. Let's really believe God. There's a need for follow-up workers. If you can help visit people, that would be tremendous. Let's dismiss. Our heads are bowed. We're rejoicing. George Rangel is lifting his voice and dismissing us today.